Hi everyone, uh, welcome to Grey Matter. I'm Ashim Chandna, partner at Greylock. It's a privilege to be here today with uh, Bipul Sinha, the CEO of Rubric. Rubric started in January 2014, is one of the fastest growing enterprise companies ever. Just exited its second year of selling at a $300 million run rate. Just started the third year of selling. The company has over 900 employees, is already operating in 29 countries around the world is adding over 50 to 60 uh, employees a month. Bipul, welcome, Pl pleasure to have you here today. Tell us a little bit about Rubric, just to get things started. Thank you, Asim. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here and speaking with you. As you mentioned, we started Rubric in January 2014 with this vision to create a new data control plane across on-premises and public clouds, and really to simplify backup, recovery, archive, DR for applications, whether they run in the customer's data center or in the public clouds. And with that vision, we assembled a core team and really ran very, very fast to this market. And we have had a great reception from the market so far. So Bipul, can you maybe just tell us a little bit about cloud data management and you know why Rubric matters? So what we are fundamentally observing in the marketplace is an explosion in terms of uh, number of applications and data being processed and generated. And our customers are really struggling to manage this data explosion and application fragmentation. And we saw a fundamental need to simplify and automate uh, the whole uh, backup recovery archive DR infrastructure by creating a single software fabric that brings both metadata and data together and really gives our customer independence from the infrastructure. Now they can take their data and application into the cloud, out of the cloud, and really get leverage out of their data. So essentially you can be on-prem, you can be on-cloud, you can change those decisions in the future. Your data can be anywhere, it can be backed up and recovered from anywhere and then uh, you have complete analytics on top of that and compliance and uh, security and data protection. Absolutely, because think about the, the value that is hidden in all these data. And the, the legacy architecture was metadata and data were separated. As a result, customers could not unlock the value of the data. Rubric brings the deep metadata and data together and really creates self-describing data. So now data knows where it originated from and how to power it on for better use of the data and all its history. So we are really helping our customers better understand their data, get leverage out of the data, and most importantly, secure the data. And that probably leads us to the topic of cloud data management. So what began as backup, recovery, has really led us into a journey around cloud data management. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. So cloud data management is the Rubrics uh, flagship product. We uh, had the initial vision of this product and that's what we brought to the market back in 2015 and continue to scale the business on this particular platform. Essentially what we do is we bring the power of public clouds to the enterprise data center and really create a single software fabric across uh, data center and public clouds to for customers to be able to manage their backup data, get instantaneous recovery, get search capabilities, and really have peace of mind 
to have a, a, a deterministic recovery for their applications wherever they run their application, whether they run on-premises or into the cloud. So essentially, you know, future-proofing customers for a hybrid, multi-cloud uh, world. That's where our, our customer want to go to because they want to get the agility of the cloud. They want to reduce cost. They want to expand on demand. And they really want uh, infrastructure to be just be around in an, in an automated, orchestrated manner so that they don't have to worry about application delivery. Essential goal of our customers is to not buy rubric product. It is a means to an end. The end is how do they deliver better products and services to their customers. And Rubrik really eliminates the headache of managing backup recovery infrastructure that is needed for recovery, compliance, governance, and really helps the customer to be more agile, more innovative in their quest to deliver better services and product to their customers. So at a recent board meeting, we heard about this new product, this new SaaS product that the company is working on called Polaris which is complementary to the cloud uh, data management offerings today. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about that? Polaris is critical because uh, as the data challenges are increasing for, for businesses, they want to have a platform where they can leverage the, the whole data infrastructure and deliver higher value applications on it. And we are seeing this in the enterprise application realm through force.com platforms and, and other platforms that people are building to take the structured data and allowing businesses to build newer applications uh, for analytics, for other reasons. Similarly, for the unstructured data, all the data and metadata across on-premises and cloud that businesses have, how do we create a unified system of record backed by global catalog, orchestration, workflow capabilities that the businesses can build uh, newer applications through APIs that Rubrik delivers. In fact, Rubrik will deliver many of these data management applications ourselves, and we'll also enable third-party application developers to build other applications. Let's switch gears now and talk a little bit about company culture and values. So uh, Rubrik has something called Rivet. Perhaps tell us a little bit about that. So when we started uh, Rubrik, our goal was to build the next 30, 40 year company, not something that we would build and sell to someone and move on. But when you want to build the next 30, 40 year company, then the foundation of such a company has to be laid on solid grounds. And we felt that we needed to create a set of cultural values or principles, think of it as guardrails by which to live by. What are the code of standards like that rubric and its people have to live by? And we defined our cultural values as rivet. R of the rivet is relentlessness. So we don't uh, take no for an answer whether to, to hire someone or sell our product or build a, a new technology. Uh, I of the rivet is integrity. So we do business with high moral standards. We don't lie to each other or lie to our customers. V of the rivet is velocity. So we go more distance in less time. And uh, E of the rivet is excellence. So everything that Rubrik does, whether to hire employees, to take customer calls for support, or, or just uh, every interaction of Rubrik employees to the outside world has to have this seal of approval where people have to feel that they met someone special, they met a company that is a special. They, we like to leave things in a better shape than we found them. And that's our excellence. 
And finally, transparency. We want to make sure that we tell all of us, all of the employees of Rubrik, not only what are good news, but also what are bad news, what are the challenges in the company, so that we can all row in one direction to solve company's problem and really build a great company, something to reckon with. Maybe if you can dive into a couple of those a little further. You know, what are some key lessons you would say around velocity for other CEOs and entrepreneurs from the rubric journey? This is a very good question, Ashim, particularly because when you think about creating a startup and building a company, what is the biggest weapon a startup has against incumbents who have all the money and all the resources in the world? Speed. The biggest weapon is speed. So if we can inject the DNA of speed in the company, then a startup can really take on large companies and defeat them. So how do you inject a speed? How do you make sure that people understand what a speed means? Because the biggest struggle of every company or any organization is how do we break our own mental limits? How do we, because we are all prisoners of our own imaginations. So, so what we did was we said we'll define what it means to be fast, what it means to have fast speed. So then we said two things. Number one was that, hey, make decision fast. No more than two meetings for any decision. And then the second thing about speed is, it's okay as long as we make more than 50% right decision. It's okay to make less than 50% wrong decision. Because as long as we are making more than 50% right decisions, we'll live to see another day to fight. So that's the first part about, uh, about velocity. And second part about velocity is living up to the potential of the company. A lot of people say that they are, they are a good company. Some people say they are a great company. But our definition of living is by live up to the potential of the company. Are we hitting the edge of possibilities and what it means to have, be at the edge of possibilities, whether we have the best in class, best possible sales cycle, do we have the best possible average uh, uh, sales size, average deal size? Do we have the best possible largest deal that a company can sell at any given point in time in its life? So really living up to the potential of the company. And so that's the big this, discovery. How do you get an organization at large to kind of embrace this? The way you have the organization embrace such an idea is to simplify it in smaller chunks. So we say, hey, no more than two meetings. So it's easy for people to understand that it's not okay right. to, to have the analysis paralysis, sure. action orientation. We, we ask our, our sales team, our engineering team to go do more. So we set high goal for ourselves. Yeah. And we say that this high goal is possible. Past is not a predictor of what's possible in future because every day we are seeing new things and discovering new things. So that's how we kind of inspire, encourage, push ourselves to really see where is the real limit of what's possible. Uh-huh. So maybe let's switch gears to transparency. So transparency is very important uh, to us as a company. It's very important to me as a person because all of my life I always felt that I was an outsider and I was outside looking in. And I always felt that a, a group of people are making decisions and I have no input or no knowledge of the, of the parameters or criteria that they were applying into the decision making. 
So when we started Rubrik, first thing we thought about was how do we take the power of information out of the equation? How do we align everyone to say and and do things which is in the best interest of Rubrik versus best interest of the managers or the CEO or the best interest of people around them? Not try to make others happy, make Rubrik happy. So we said to be able to do that, what is the ultimate power? center or ultimate information control uh, that a company has is the board because everything ends there we said if we can go and make the information discussed in the board open and public within the company then the all levels of the organization will be inspired to actually demand transparency because no manager can say hey i can tell you this because if i if as an employee i can say if i can listen to the board then there is no other information in the company that is more sacred than that that's right and and that's the was our way to create an example because they want to see it is it okay to do x because y has happened yeah so how has that been received uh, you know is on the positive side or are there any challenges around that with any new path that you go on there's always a negative side to it one thing that we decided early on that we are willing to pay uh, the cost of transparency and cost of transparency is sometime when you are open to people about their uh, feedback you when you actually talk about a, a a team or a group or an individual in the board meetings when they are hearing about it they may not feel good good about it so these are not easy things to express but because of the culture of transparency people uh, understand that we have to be honest with each other and we have to honest about not just where the person is but we have to also honest about the potential but that means that i'm admitting to the potential possibilities and that was yeah. important i guess i would also add that as a board member coming to the open board meetings at rubric also means i got to be on my best behavior and i got to be attentive <laughs> so i got to be you know it's game on uh, in, a, I mean, in a positive is, way yeah it is true for everyone right yeah. because we are here to build the best possible company the 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 fastest company ever we want to build a long term long lasting company and and foundation of such a company cannot be laid on things which are uh, not meritocratic which are not open which are not transparent so you also conduct you know all hands meetings with the company and i've heard you uh, you uh, enable anonymous feedback or an- on- anonymous questions so maybe just comment around that certainly so what we uh, we observed was that as the company started growing we had a lot of engineers in the company then we started hire sales teams in the company with completely different characteristics uh, some people were very introvert some people were very extrovert and we didn't want a situation where we were not answering the questions for introverts because they are as valuable to our company as an extrovert person so we said that if we allow anonymous questions and anonymous questions has to be asked real time no prior preparation or anything like that then it is as if the introverted person is asking that question and we have to as a management team or as a leaders of this company have to react to it real time and it had a profound impact because people were asking questions about their salaries and and bonus and questions about fundraising and why did we decide to pick Uh, a particular round or size or valuation so it brought a level of of accountability and clarity in the in the functional leaders and management teams mind about what is important 
why are we doing things the way we are doing if we cannot explain to our people it means that we have not thought it through that's great maybe talk for a few minutes just about any other aspects around transparency when we initially started rubrix slack was a new platform but we definitely wanted to adopt slack because slack has this inherent instantaneous nature to it and we said that as the company is growing and will be operating around the world very quickly how do we make sure that even if a person sitting a couple of seats away can express uh, to each other what's going on uh, instantaneously and how do we democratize the knowledge within the company so slack turned out to be the life uh, blood vein of rubric where all the sales team and all the engineers and all the marketing person everyone is in this together so there's multiple channels running in the company with different groups different and... groups but people actually join other groups okay, so yeah. sales team will join engineering groups engineering yeah, teams see. will join sales groups so the intermingling yeah. has more power than the individual groups and it has what it has done is it has brought another level of transparency because in a typical enterprise company the sales team is out selling engineering team is out building they don't talk to each other a lot of times and we wanted to reduce the time to learn yeah the market in in rubric and that became a significant factor i remember when we first started uh, deploying our product pre beta we used to have a slack channel per customer obviously we had very few customer back then and people would go and see like a screenshots of a live installation of the product oh, and people will cool. watch it like tv yeah. so that they'll know hey sales engineer is having this difficulty implementing this feature let's let's fix it let's kind of simplify it let's build a better product and that feedback loop instead of somebody uh, sure. installing it and capturing that information and telling a subset of people versus the whole company knew exactly where we stood Yeah no that's excellent switching gears let's talk for a few minutes about hiring and recruiting so you know what's your philosophy around recruiting and hiring and you know what works well for you and for the company at rubric we had this goal that uh, will not hire ourselves it means that our standards are so high that we'll not pass our standard and we felt that was the only way to bring clarity to people who are interviewing to make sure that we are raising the bar not reducing the bar or even keeping it constant and we said that we have to find the best people and the relentlessness of the culture plays into it and so we wanted to bring that clarity so for engineering team we said that our engineering team has to be better than google's search infra team which is supposed to be the crown jewel so we defined as a bar that was high and and same thing as in the sales team we said that we'll work hard and talk to the ecosystem uh, folks to figure out who is the best sales person in any given geography to make sure that we go see and calibrate ourselves against the top talent it was not an easy thing to do it was very hard to get attention from someone who is a top engineer or a top sales person to come into a company that had pretty much no product and no sales but uh, our relentlessness and drive to be in front of the right person helped us understand the quality because to me as a as a venture capitalist before rubric i felt like a lot of people didn't know what top talent even means or if has not even seen top talent so once we identify the top talent then we go and see that whether they are a cultural fit 
because somebody may be great but may not be a fit how for you, you how do you interview for cultural fit what i personally do is i ask them to tell me about your origins and journey where you grew up what your parents did and tell me about your journey the way they describe their journey gives me a lot of signal about what drives them what risks they take whether they are forced from their parents versus their own internal drives so a, a lot of subtle signals come about and and when i'm hearing somebody speak for 5 minutes i know a lot about them versus i'm asking question they're answering that question how do you go about actually you know uh, you know i mean finding the very best people out there finding very best is through the network i remember in the in the early days of rubric we had to find people in different parts of the us for the local market so right. for example uh, we wanted to hire somebody in southeast so what we did was mike tonin kasa our head of sales and and i we sat together and we said that let's do a linkedin search to find out from the, all the sales people that live in that three or four state region who are the top people from the linkedin Right. So we actually collected the names of the top people at least from the LinkedIn sure and then we called local uh, reseller partners saying that who is doing the maximum deal with you so who is driving the most money for you individually and then collected that information and then combined the two information to see like what are the the com- intersection right of the top people we think are top in terms of the company velocity and what growth, the channel is telling us and what is the channel telling us and then we said that here are the five people that really matter so how do we get in front of these five people and uh, knowing the five people is the first step the second step is that how do you get them to uh, on to the table so that you can have a real conversation in many cases they would not respond or uh, to email or linkedin or facebook so we had to physically send someone through some other connection to go meet with them and have a coffee okay. <laughs> to prepare them to take a meeting with us yeah and so it was a, a significant effort exactly yeah. there is no stopping yeah let's talk about various aspects of company building you know all the way from defining a problem to go after product market fit roadmap go to market scale and other challenges how do you think about product market fit and how you know how should other ceos and entrepreneurs think about product market fit and when do you know that you've got product market fit so when you start a company you need to have a thesis with a unique perspective about the market and your perspective has to be slightly different than what is an accepted norm and so then the whole early days of the company is proving that perspective is right right and the customer are listening to you what i did at rubric and even before rubric uh, i have this fundamental belief that the that you need to have a point of view but the source of truth is with the customer so how do you take this point of view to the customer as fast as possible and start to listen to them and really understand their reaction to it not what they are saying but their free flow reaction to it and then glean from that free flow reaction what are the uh, some uh, vectors of thoughts that they are attaching to and then you combine those vectors of thoughts to really coherently state what value your product delivers so for example in rubric to do this in within the 6 months of founding the company 
I hired an inside salesperson, Jason Rothman. And Jason would sit next to me and he would cold call and set up appointment. And I would go pitch the product to the customer. We had no product. We were right. not even in alpha. Yeah. But we'll pitch the product to the customer and hear their feedback. And based on the feedback, we'll refine our pitch. So every day, we'll pitch to new customers. And we wanted to also have geographical diversity. So we would hire, we'll cold call into Midwest and South and North and East and West so that we can collect fully diverse data. Before we actually got our first set of sales team, I had made 60 uh, unique customer calls with a fair degree of understanding of what would sell if we go and sell this product. Because product can have many aspects to it, but you have to sell only one or maximum two and vectors. How do you figure out you know, which customers to listen to more? So what happens is that when you deliver, we would also look for cold call customers from SMBs all the way into the enterprise. Right. And then based on their reaction, we were trying to glean who has a real pain point or real value for the customer. Think of it this way. You are delivering a Ferrari. If somebody doesn't have an appreciation for a car, then they are not looking for Ferrari. They may be looking for a Honda because Honda is good enough to go from A to B. So similarly, when you take your product and go to market, there's a segment of the market where they have more inclination to buy this product because it solves some things that are very applicable to them. So the job of this market discovery is to eliminate segments of the market where it has no value or even marginal value. Because I have a fundamental belief that you have to sell to believers in the early days. And if if they have a marginal need, they are not a believer. No, I like that. Uh, both the, uh, you, you know, the unique point of view, source of truth to the customer, sell to believers in the early days. I mean, you know, how should entrepreneurs and CEOs think, think about early go-to-market into enterprise markets? So one of the things um, that I'm always a fan of multiple source of information. So if you have like one or two sales teams in the early days, and if they're going to the market and they are seeing success, it is unclear whether your product does the magic or these people have enough of a relationship or force of will right. that they are, are able to sell. And the reverse is also true if you if it's not working. Yeah, yeah because you have or, so many confounding variables right. into the game. So, so how do you solve for the confounding variables? So I have a fundamental belief that you need to get at least four or five distinct sources of feedback. Right. So in the early days of Rubric, when we actually took product into GA, we had like six sales teams that we took the product to market. And we we had some good early signals because of the early calling customers and understanding their reaction and messaging them the right way. So we got some early signals. And as soon as we saw early signals where they were messaging in a certain way and customers would take them through a certain cycle and buy early product, we said, what we have to do is we have to double down in areas where we are seeing signals. So uh, we also did one interesting experiment where instead of hiring individual contributor sales team as the first set of people, we hired a first level manager who are new manager, like less than two or three years into the management as individual contributors in the field. But you put scalability into the system. Exactly, because we knew that 
as soon as we see signal that it is working they can multiply themselves fast and that started the whole dense tree formation right and and that gave us the scalability fast now you still continue the player coach model at some level as the system scales our thesis has always been pay for performance we didn't want to create a system where we didn't test the limits of the productivity that is possible and to that end what we also did was another experiment where we said next four quarters of rubric sales every sales team will have a fixed flat quota and very modest quota so what that allowed our sales teams to do early sales team is to really push hard and see how far and how fast they can sell so that they can make the max money because after a modest quota the money doubled right so not only they tested their own limits but they gave data back to the company saying what is possible yeah and that what is possible is again opening up the minds that hey in, just because we are a new company doesn't mean that we have to go slow just because we are a new company doesn't mean that we can't sell a million dollar deal just because we are a new company we don't have to accept two deals a quarter you i can as an individual uh, sales person i can make four qu- deals a quarter five deals a quarter eight deals a quarter so that kind of broke the artificial limits that we put on ourselves and really went for the possibilities it's been wonderful to watch rubric's growth you know, i think one thing that's extraordinary is how quickly rubric has garnered the trust of so many large enterprises around the world any lessons learned around that or you know what key takeaways would you say other ceos could have in terms of watching the rubric journey so large enterprises are not making a decision on a product based on a few feature being there or not there they are really making a decision whether this company will be around for a long time and so that it can keep pretty close to where the innovations are happening and also whether this company has at least even for a short time a track record of delivering what they promised so what they saw in rubric was we were releasing features and capabilities very rapidly and as a result the capabilities of rubric were growing very very rapidly and if you combine that with disruptive value that we were delivering to the customer where their experience from the existing product to this new product was 10 times better so when you have 10 times better value and then you are able to demonstrate the ability to execute on innovation rapidly and you are also demonstrating the ability to win customers rapidly it means that you will stay for a long time then their guard come down and they want to adopt you because they are also competing in their own market space against nimbler or uh, other companies which are trying to disrupt them and how about on the demand generation side i mean are there any particular lessons or key takeaways in terms of you know just extreme growth or you know very high velocity growth so we did uh, a few experiments on the on the marketing front as well so we started the company in january and we made a decision in november before we even had alpha product to actually sponsor as gold sponsor at vm world because that's a big demand generation source for a product such as ours it was a, a bold move because it costed us between us and and europe a uh, north of 250000 but we made that call because i had a fundamental belief that 
this product, the way we are thinking about it and driving in the market, if it hits that trajectory, we need to have the pipeline to execute fast. And without that level of deep uh, demand generation through events, because events is the primary source of demand generation, particularly for a young company, will not have enough leads to a plurality of deals to be able to drive this at a, at a rapid pace. And that also became a goal in itself so that the whole company aligned to deliver product, to launch the company, to have beta customer, to have sales so that going into the VM world, we had to look bigger than our actual size. So, so it became like a self-fulfilling prophecy and that allowed the company to have a significant presence at VMworld. And that momentum drove the next level of wave of demand generation through local events, lunch and learn, and then we went on and on. It has been a lot of uh, learning experience for us. I mean, uh, one thing that, that was my uh, like a discovery through this journey is that the early sales process is not like an arithmetic progression. It's a geometric progression. So if, if what does you, that mean? Yeah, that or it just, goes from like one three nine twenty seven right uh, versus one two four six eight. Uh, as a result, if you have the initial pipe yeah. which is a strong, then the f- uh, growth is also faster. Yeah, I see. How about just in terms of you know phases of company? There's the very early phase, then you start to add teams and grow at a, at a particular uh, level. And now, you know, you get into a multi-hundred million dollar run rate heading towards, you know, a multi-billion dollar run rate not very far away. So just as, you know, one goes into kind of the, the scale phase at the next level, any additional thoughts around that? So every stage has its own challenges. Yeah. In the early days, you need to have a lot of uh, leads and a lot of demand generation activities to be able to continue to scale the business. But at some point, it has to go from individual heroics into a system and processes that can predict growth. Uh, So to that end, when we're hiring our sales team pretty rapidly, we actually focused on sales enablement. Because how do we hire sales team and make them dangerous fast so that they start to pay for themselves? So we invested in sales enablement much before a regular company would go invest in that areas. So we have been always kind of taking early risk yeah. to make sure that we are covered because the ambitions are much larger. So at every stage of the game, so at tens of millions of dollars, we started to build enablement at $50, $100 million range. We started to do a lot more systems and processes and predictability and inspection. And as we are getting into uh, now hundreds of million and, and forward, now we are looking at the whole portfolio of deals and which deals and understanding customer lifetime value and how do we deliver more value to our customers. We create repeat purchase dynamics that going into the quarter, we have a lot of uh, visibility into how much money we can actually get from our existing customer base who have needs for more needs for this product versus new customers. All of that plays into it. Right. That's excellent. In terms of the life of a CEO of a very, very fast-growing company. So what is a typical week like for you or a typical day? It has changed and evolved. Uh, so in the early days of Rubrik, I was doing both recruiting and products. 
so i designed uh, i worked with designer and built the first product of rubric so i was spending a lot of time in in product building and recruiting in the early days recruiting engineers and product building so that was the first year of the company in the second year of the company it evolved from uh, product building and mark early market interaction to going and meeting a lot of customers to reassure them that we are not flash on the pan it it is a company that will be a long lasting and they can take a early bet on us and as we grew then my engagements got limited to a set of strategic locations and areas and markets so my typical week these days is a lot on the road meeting customers and partners and plotting strategies in different geographies plus a lot of time working with the executive team to understand our growth our risks uh, how which products which markets how how we are doing sales how are we creating a financial foundation of a long term business the ability to prioritize or the ability to focus is a core requirement for success for most organizations and most leaders any thoughts around that or takeaways for other ceos or entrepreneurs that may be listening so one thing that i do is i think about everything that i have on my plate and which one is bothering me the most so i like listen to my instinct yes and things that bothering me most i just focus on it and and that's how it goes so not necessarily the things you want to work on but the things that bother you the most exactly on that note that's a good place to close thanks so much bipul pleasure talking to you and it's a privilege to be on this journey to, uh, together with you and the rest of the rubric team and looking forward to you know building a multi billion dollar size business from here on Thank you Asim really appreciate your support and championship of our business from very early days really fortunate to have you on the board and look forward to working with you for many years to come no oh, thank you yes same here